Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And today, we don't have necessarily the fullest list of things to go over, but, you know, it's still going to be a pretty good show. And, of course, tonight is draft night, so uh, if you see me on Twitter, I'm sorry. And the day that tomorrow, the, the day that this comes out, it will also be draft night, but of slightly less importance. Yeah. But for what we're going to cover here today, we're going to firstly come up with a special announcement regarding the show. Then we're going to cover recruiting and then Batcats. See, told you it wasn't the longest episode of the world. But the first thing is uh, we are considering and leaning towards doing a live show or multiple live shows where it'll be Connor and I will go on probably Spotify Green Room because that's on Android. Yeah. And we'll just relax. People can join us, come talk K-State sports. It'll be a grand old time. We get the Alley Cats all together. So really, that's that's about it. We put out a Twitter poll, you know, speaking hypothetically yesterday. And uh, by my calculations, about 20 or 21 people answered yes to that. So if we don't get 20 or 21 people in the Spotify Green Room, Gonna be disappointed. Gonna be sad. Gonna remove Doomtang Clan from the merch store. (laughs) As punishment. (laughs) But yeah, just wanted to get that announcement out of the way. It's not gonna be like next week or anything. It'll probably be like another month or so before, but we wanted to just get the possibility out there because we love interacting with y'all on Twitter. And whenever we see a few of you in person, I've met uh, three people who've watched the show in person. You met two? I think so. Just saw one today, in fact. Yeah. So, how you doing, Hayes? How you nice doing? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. But, yeah, we, we love seeing y'all, so hopefully y'all will join us on the Spotify Green Room, or if we choose ColorCast, ColorCast. Or if there's some other platform that we don't know of. We will be using Google Teams. <laughs> Would rather not, personally, <laughs> but I suppose we can't rule it out. Yeah. So... That's all for the show. Now let's get into recruiting, starting off with football. And unfortunately, all we have are subtractions, no additions so far. And the first one, or really the only one that we'll talk about, is the other one is Xavier Gordon, who was a walk-on receiver. Yeah, he was a receiver. And the other one was another walk-on linebacker, I think. Yeah, that was uh, Keenan Gaskin, I believe. But the scholarship player who transferred out is Gavin Hasselhorst, who will be transferring with four years of eligibility before we say anything else. Just obviously, we want we wish him the best, no matter where he ends up. But the way that it was seeming is that he was another case of someone who just was not long for the 3-3-5, which, depending on your interpretation of long, I either gave you the exact answer that you're looking for, for why he's why he's transferring out, or it may be something else, but... That may have been my way of giving everyone a hint. But, yeah, he just, he he didn't fit in with the scheme. He's been a freak athlete, but he just didn't fit in anywhere. So, obviously, you hope hope from the best. Yeah, it it is tough whenever you lose somebody like that because he was, like, an absolute freak athlete in high school. And that was, was someone that I hoped that they would be able to find a spot for, but just, uh just kind of in that in-between zone between being a defensive end or an edge rusher and being a linebacker. And that's a really tough spot to be in. 
but he does have some great athletic traits. So I'd imagine he could tear it up at a lower level, maybe FCS or D2. He is from Hayes, so might maybe end up back at Fort Hayes. But yeah, best of luck to Gavin. I I was hoping that he would show something, maybe be a special teams guy. But uh, best of luck. Yeah. And this brings up a con- it's not on the outline, but this brings up a concern with linebacker depth. Because as it stands right now, our linebacker room is Daniel Green, the obvious starter. Yep. Will Honus, who, from what I've heard, might fit in as the Sam or the weak side linebacker, either or. And then it kind of falls off a cliff because it's yeah. Austin Moore, mm-hmm. um, Nick Allen, Nick Allen, and then the two, three freshmen. Uh, Desmond Purnell. Desmond Purnell, who's sliding down the linebacker. Yeah. And Sean Robinson will fill in, but not really a linebacker, but kind of a linebacker. He'll just play Jack. Yeah, he'll just play Jack. So, which is the same position as Reggie Stubblefield for those unfamiliar with the terminology. Yeah. So, the the depth right now is not ideal. I will say I really, really like the linebacker commits that we have mm-hmm. for this upcoming class. Mm-hmm. I love Toby Osinzami, and I really, really like Jake Clifton as well. I think both of them are probably top five guys in the class, and there's a very easy argument to be made for Toby being number the, one. Yeah, number one, and possibly someone with the highest ceiling in the class. Mm-hmm. He has NFL athleticism, and I as I, a high schooler. Yeah, as a high schooler, and he's got really great size. So. I'm very excited about the long-term future, and I really like the very short-term starters, but the issue is everything in between, where I don't think Toby or Jake will be quite ready for... Much less Gavin Myers. Yeah, or Gavin Myers even, yeah. Like, I don't think those guys are going to be totally ready for game action after this season, or uh, worst-case scenario, if... Like Daniel Green or Will Honus get injured during the season. We have one, maybe two guys that can step in. It depends on if Nick Allen has recovered from injury. But I, I am a little concerned for the short-term depth, but that that is the glory of the transfer portal. It taketh, but it also giveth. So I'm hoping that we can find uh, some quality depth in the portal. Maybe uh, next year we can find a grad transfer to uh, step in and start for a year while Toby and Jake uh, develop behind him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I, I'm hopeful for the long-term future, and I, I get concern. Like, I, I understand it, and I am as well. So like, I'm not going to sit here to an ivory tower and be like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, it, there, there, yeah. there is a good reason to, yeah, there's, there's, to have questions. Yeah, especially just... In the situation where someone gets hurt this year or uh, next year, if we aren't able to find people in the transfer portal to step in immediately, unless just Toby and Jake are both absolute phenoms. Although I imagine... I would accept. I'd take it. I'd imagine it'll take a little longer. But, yeah. The concern is warranted, but at least for this season, it'll probably be all right. Yeah. So outside of football... Well, actually, we have another mention of football, but that'll that'll come last. Mm-hmm. We recently held, as in recently last week, yeah. we held Antoine Davis on a visit, and he called it the best one he has had. And it is looking, from the outside looking in, it is looking increasingly likely that even though he is taking a 
another visit to BYU in Utah, it is looking increasingly like K-State might be the favorite. Unless BYU steps up and brings in the Mormon money, you know, Mitt Romney decides to come down to Utah and says, hey, here's money. (laughs) I hope not. I would rather him not, but... You never know. So unless NIL gets in the way, K-State is probably the favorite. And that is massive. Yeah, it's huge. We already went over why, but it was just, it's worth noting again that he called the visit the best one he's had. Yeah. Um, And he's clearly built a great rapport with uh, Marquise and Ish. And even to an extent, Jarrell Colbert and Cam Carter, two of the new guys. It's clear that a strategy that's being utilized under Coach Tang that wasn't used as much in the past uh, by Bruce is to involve players in recruitment more. Yeah. And I, I like that strategy a lot. And I, for whatever reason, it wasn't used in the past, but I, I think it's perfect to have your players be more involved in the recruitment process because even though, of course, you're looking for a great coach, who you're going to relate to the most is going to be the other players because yep. you're in the same situation as them. So they should be the one that you're able to level with the most and get honest answers from. So I, I like that Marquise and Ish seemed to build a good relationship with Antoine Davis based on a very limited amount of information that we're able to get from it. But the fact that they interact on social media as often as they do... <laughs> Uh, Marquise after, asking yeah. him to go to Aggieville. Yeah. <laughs> that tweet got taken down really fast. Compliance probably, their head blew up on that when they saw that. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost as bad as the the Richie tweet about KU. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was up for about 10 minutes. <laughs> it was a legendary tweet, but it's gone forever. But I, uh, I don't know. Antoine Davis, if he can get through this weekend and not commit to BYU, I think it's probably fair to assume that he'll be a cat which is a phenomenal addition i mean he brings in instant scoring for a team that probably will be good defensively coach tang is a defensive oriented coach so i like that he's aware of his preconceived biases like although i'm not saying that he's not a good offensive coach but he's known for his defense yeah and he uh is going out and getting guys that are going to be great scorers, while at the same time also bringing in people that are going to be really good defenders like Cam Carter and Terrell Colbert as well. So I, I like that he's he's building the roster in a way that really makes sense and in a way that we haven't seen for a while because roster management has been pretty up and down uh, over the last uh, several years. So you can really see a picture starting to come together. And then also uh, this weekend they are also bringing... Uh, more people on visits. Um, Dorian Finister, he's a 2022 high school recruit. Uh, he's going to be visiting this weekend. This is all uh, from Grant Flanders Twitter from follow, KSO. Follow uh, Grant Flanders. Flanders does great work. So does Drew yeah. Galloway. Yep. And then and uh, Derek Young, for that matter. Follow the entire KSO crew. Yep. Then a uh, um, four-star top 50 big uh, Sean Phillips uh, from. Arizona, I believe. He was a commit to NC State and recently decommitted. He's another high school guy. So another uh, guy that we were able to get four years out of. And then uh, Naquan Tomlin, who is a top 10 Juco guy 
So that's uh, a guard and then two bigs. Uh, I will say I've watched a little bit of film on Dorian Finister, and it's really strange to me that he has not gotten more attention because uh, he, while raw, has the, the sort of game that really translates to power five level, I feel like. He clearly has some level of athleticism and sees the court really well. And uh, at the very least, from what I saw, was not a defensive liability. So he's somebody that probably comes in and gets developed for a year or two. We might see him occasionally at the beginning. But I don't know. That's This is going to be the first really big weekend, I feel like. We've had a lot of solo weekends so far, but I don't recall... A moment thus far where, where we just throw a bunch of recruits yeah. NCAA 14 styles like every linebacker yeah. comes on the same day <laughs> yeah we haven't seen that yet so I think it's interesting uh, that it's going to be set up like that uh, where they're going to bring in several guys although I do think it makes a lot of sense to do it this way because they're all different they're either they're either all different positions or different levels of eligibility yeah you have a JUCO guy with probably two to three years left. Then you have, uh, who, and that guy's a forward. Then you have another forward out of high school. Then you have a guard out of high school. So they all kind of have different timetables for success and whatnot. So it makes sense, I think. But a lot of, a lot of big names coming in. Yep. So exciting times for the men's basketball team. And the final note that we have is uh, in the 2023 recruiting class, Quarterback dominoes have begun to fall, and we everyone knows who we're talking about. But let's just say that Arkansas got their quarterback commit in Malachi Singleton. Ole Miss got a quarterback commit. Oregon is very close. If you know what player K-State is targeting, who also had those offers, it is very easy to get excited because of how these quarterback dominoes are falling. Yeah. Um, I think most people will probably be able to figure out what we're getting at. I, I don't think it's some major like secret or anything like that. Um, but Arkansas especially is really great uh, to get them knocked out uh, early um, just because that, that takes away uh, a big regional school. Uh, it takes them out of the quarterback market because you're never going to take more than one QB, which, I mean, doing that would be ludicrous. Yeah. Unless one of them was like a JUCO guy or grad transfer or something like that. And the other yeah. One was a freshman. But, yeah, Oregon... Um, probably gonna pull the trigger here pretty soon. They will, but yeah, Ole Miss and Arkansas getting out of the QB market right now is nothing but good for K State, and hopefully K State is able to get themselves out of the QB market here pretty soon as well. Yeah, yeah, hopefully by early summer. Yep, that's what we're hoping for with all the QB yeah. dominoes falling. Yeah. Uh. I think it would make sense for it to happen around then. Just summer camps will be starting around then. Seven-on-seven circuits will be starting. And K-State's going to be uh, 
making a lot of reevaluations in the summer. They're going to be bringing in camp guys and offering some guys that impress, impress them at camp, like Toby Osinsami last year, who committed uh, while on his visit uh, for his camp, because uh, he was someone that was a fringe offer. But they, uh, and then he camped. And then he camped, and they got to see him live practice in front of them. And they realized, well, this guy's incredible. And they were able to lock him down quickly. And we'll probably see a few more guys like that this summer. That's pretty common for most programs to get four to six guys, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, that they just have on their camp circuit that they just needed to see in person. So, I don't know. Summer is always one of the most exciting times for recruitment. So Yep. So, stay tuned. With all the recruiting news out of the way, we can now start talking about the Batcats, which has kind of become, you know, our bread and butter. We're kind of, we're in the groove of the Batcats. Cornered the market, if you will. (laughs) I don't know, uh, Shake and Blake, they cover it a little bit. Yeah, they do do a nice job. They They do a good job as well. But we had a series last weekend, I suppose, at this point. That feels like yesterday. It really does. I am old. (laughs) We are old. My knees hurt. My, my hips hurt. Knee, <laughs> knees hurt. I don't have cartilage in my left knee. Carson Strong. Carson Strong. Okay, I don't have a dead person's knee tissue in my knee yet. Fair. <laughs> yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, had a series against UC Irvine, a preseason top 20 team. It was a three-game series. We ended up winning the first game 13-8, losing the second game 17-16, and then winning the final game 5-3. But diving into the first game, which was a 13-8 victory, this was a game that was not looking great. No, it was not. (laughs) It was not looking good at all. I mean, UC Irvine, they, by the fifth inning, uh, they got out to a 5-1 lead. Uh, The bats had not really been working for the Cats. They were really struggling. And the Cats are able to plate one in the bottom of the sixth on a Nick Goodwin double. And they did get one run in the third before that on mm-hmm. a Jeff Heinrich solo home run. I think it was opposite field as well on yeah, a 0-0. Zero, zero. It was oppo. Yeah. I think we called that one as well. We called every home run yeah. that happened this game. And then in the seventh inning, we stood up. We did. <laughs> yeah, that, that's our thing. Whenever the Bat Cats are struggling, we stand. It's worked several times now. It's uh, only not worked once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was uh, it, it was foolproof uh, when we stood because they scored eleven runs <laughs> in one inning, yep. which is allegedly good. Allegedly. So, do we just want to read box score for that eleventh or that seventh inning, or do we want to go play by play? I, I honestly, they read the same. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> So in the seventh inning, it all started off with Dom Johnson homering to left field and scoring Brady Day and Jeff Heinrich. Then Nick Goodwin doubled to left field, advancing Dylan Phillips to third and scoring Cole Johnson. Then Justin Mitchell ended up singling up the middle, getting two RBIs, those being Nick Goodwin and Dylan Phillips. And then afterwards, Dom Johnson decided that he was going to jack an absolute rocket (laughs) to left field. Scoring, uh, wait, 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 I skipped one. Well, after that, he ended up scoring Kevin Culpepper and Brady Day. This was in the AB before Brady Day ended up singling up the middle and scoring Josh Nikoloff and Dom Hughes. Yeah, 
And the Cats started out the seventh inning down uh, 5-2, and they ended it up 13-5, which (laughs) that is the Bat Cats for you, really. I mean... (laughs) That is the Bat Cats. They they will just have one inning where they just eat, and there's really nothing you can do about it other than try to mitigate the damage, which UC Irvine was not able to do. And... This was the it was the ultimate back cats game. The pitching was not phenomenal, but it was it, it was enough. It was fine. Yeah. Like they, they did what they needed to do. And they were able to uh limit uh UC Irvine, especially after the fifth inning. Uh just three runs after that. And uh the bats got hot when they needed them. So really nice win, a quality win. Uh we can go through the uh stats as well. Uh, Dom Johnson, those two home runs that he hit, that was, uh, it's been, the stat has been passed around a lot, but it was the first, he was the first K-State batter to hit two home runs in, in, the, same inning, inning. in the same inning since 1988. And, uh, I mean, he, had a, he has a stat line that reflects this. <laughs> uh, he went three for five, no strikeouts, uh, three runs and six RBIs. So, can't ask for a much better day than that. He got off to such a hot start for the season, especially non-conference at home. So it was nice to see him get back on track after still hitting quite well, but it was a slump for his standards. So yeah, it was a slump from someone who had like what a 16-game hitting streak and was up batting like you know 580, something crazy like that. But Cole Johnson goes two for five with a run and two strikeouts. Phillips. Only goes one for five in this game, but he was not needed. Then uh, Nick Goodwin, he goes two for five in this one and gets two RBI with two strikeouts. Justin Mitchell goes two for four, two RBI, two strikeouts. Uh, Dom Hughes uh, pinch ran for Mitchell one point in this game and scored a run. Uh, Then Rafael Pelletier went one for one. He's been batting pretty well recently in the backup catcher spot. Uh, Josh Nikoloff goes one for five with two strikeouts. Uh, Kalen Culpepper, uh, 0 for 3 with a strikeout and a run. He got hit by a pitch again, which that happens a lot. He's getting, I, I, he almost has to lead the team and hit by pitch, right? I think he does, and I'm not sure how close it is. <laughs> the next closest might be Nick Goodwin, but that's about it. And Culpepper wears them, though. He does. <laughs> he really does. And uh, Jeff Heinrich, he had a great day as well, overshadowed a bit by Dom Johnson, understandably. Yeah. But he still had a really great day, hit one of the three home runs, uh, went three for four, two runs, an RBI, just one strikeout. And then Orlando Salinas uh, came in at one point and did something. I think he might have just been a he, defensive sub. He was a defensive sub. Yeah. Uh, Cam Musselton, 0 for 2 with a strikeout. And then Brady Day, pinch hitting, went 2 for 2 with two RBI and two runs. Really, really, really nice day for a pinch hitter. Brendan Jones, uh, he did a little bit of pinch running as well, then also defensive sub. Um, but yeah, and then Nick Goodwin had two doubles, and Brady Day had one. Uh, and then only one fielding error from was Blake Adams. Yeah, it was. It was a bad throw on a pickoff from Blake Adams. Yep. And as for the pitching stats, Blake Adams was today's starter. He was the Friday starter, whereas opposed to the series this weekend, not to get ahead of ourselves, but he's the Sunday starter. But Blake Adams went five and a third, giving up nine hits, five runs, four earned, which 
really the one that scored was on his own error, so I think that so, should probably count against yeah. him. Technically, it isn't, but it is. But it but, is. So. He ended up getting four strikeouts and hit one batter on 96 pitches. And then Herman Vajardo decided that he was going to take over from there. And he only gave up two hits, three earned runs, unfortunately with four walks and three strikeouts, though. 64 total pitches. And then Dylan Phillips, because of course, he had to come in and finish off the game throwing two-thirds and striking out both batters he faced. Yeah, on three pitches. Or three pitches each, that is. Yep. Yeah. Two strikeouts, six pitches. So, I mean, that's just another Dylan Phillips outing for you. He is... He will either get blown up, which happens like one out of ten times, or be the most efficient pitcher of all time. Yep. He also does, one of our yeah. three lefties. Yeah, one of our three lefties, and he's not even a pitcher by trade. The other one's Grant Nicholson and uh, Westmore. So. Yep. Which we ended up seeing a little bit of. Yeah, we did, get, we did get to see a little bit of uh, Grant Nicholson. Unfortunately, not in, not in the context we wanted. Yeah. Because the, the next game was ugly. This was a... Had a special event going on. It was uh, celebrating local businesses, local black-owned businesses. It's really good barbecue. Had some phenomenal barbecue. It was so good. It, it had this like it was this like mango honey sauce. Mango honey with a bit of kick. Yeah, it was good. It was re- it was really really good. They're at the Manhattan Brewery on Thursdays and also sell at Hy-Vee if you're interested. Yes, because it is. We cannot recommend yeah, it enough. You should be interested if you aren't already, because it was really good. It's amazing. That was probably the best part of our day at the park today. Yep. Because the University of California, Irvine, there's no way around it. They waxed K-State. It was a 16-7 to loss. I don't, it didn't even get out hit that bad, 16-12, to but it's just their hits mattered more. Yeah. Um... I think the big difference uh, in that in this game is uh, UC Irvine. They had three three-run home runs and then three solo home runs, whereas the Cats had one two-run home run and then uh, solo. three solos. Yeah. And so the so while the Cats did hit a lot of home runs, they were not able to stack runs the same way that UC Irvine was. And some days, that's just how it goes. Yeah. So And also, pitching a Connor McCullough that I have since heard was pitching through a back injury. and That would make sense. And it explains a lot. Because <laughs> we were sitting there talking about how it was probably McCullough's worst outing of his career. It's not close. Yeah, he just did not look on his game. Uh, he did not look composed at all, and he he was just outright really struggling and not pitching the way that he normally does. And hearing that he was pitching through an injury that he probably shouldn't have been makes a lot of sense in hindsight based yeah. on what we were seeing because he just did not look right uh, this whole game. So Yeah, and we would go over the scoring, but no. Yeah, it's a lot of home runs for UC Irvine. They scored all 16 of their runs in the sixth inning or earlier. And the Cats, they made it close for a while in the first inning. They had a two-run shot, and they were only down by one after the first inning, but it was very quickly 8-2 in the second, and it just got worse from there. And the Cats did try to make it look a little bit better by the end. Uh, they... Got a two-run single in the seventh and a solo home run in the eighth just to make it single digits. But still... But no, it's, no. <laughs> you know, still a resounding loss. 
Uh, ben Fitzgerald had seven at-bats for UC Irvine, the founding father. And yeah. he uh, ended up with four hits, six RBI. I mean, tough game. I mean, UC Irvine just absolutely stacked the stat sheet. Everybody hit well. Uh, everyone at least got one hit. And uh, with the exception of Dub Gleed. El Gleed. <laughs> El Gleed. <laughs> he did get hit by two pitches, which may not have been an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not, I, not to make accusations. Not but. to make accusations, but you want to cover pitching first? Yeah. Um, McCullough, uh, definitely his worst outing as a cat, at least from what I can remember. He only went two innings. I uh, gave up six hits, eight earned runs. Uh, that was all of the runs he gave up. Two walks, three strikeouts, and hit two batters. 59 pitches to get through six outs. Uh, not particularly efficient. Oh, so, uh, Christian Rubeck. Had an oddly similar outing. <laughs> and, uh, he went one more inning than McCullough was able to go. Gave up six hits, six runs, all earned, two walks, three strikeouts, and a hit by pitch. 58 pitches total. Like I said, very similar outing to McCullough. Kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Elijah Dale came in and went an inning. Uh, gave up three hits, two earned runs, two walks, a strikeout, 30 pitches. And Landry Weidman came in. I. Uh, Gave an inning uh, with one walk, no strikeouts, but was able to get out unscathed. And then Grant Nicholson, in his first career outing, uh, gave up a hit and a walk, but then also had three strikeouts. And, and some of the most nasty sliders I've seen. Yeah, he, he, has, an, he has a delivery very similar to Eric Torres. His spin rate is a lot lower based on the analytics that we saw, but he... Uh, uh, he he had a really quality outing. Very encouraging for a true freshman yeah. uh, to come in. Granted, it was the most low-pressure situation of all time. Like, yeah, but, if you give up three home runs, it, I don't care. The game's lost anyway. Yeah. But he was able to get through an inning. Did take 22 pitches, but uh, had some quality strikeouts. And nice to get some mound experience for a young guy. And Nico Rodriguez came in and finished off the game. Uh, went one inning, no hits allowed, two strikeouts, hit a batter, but who cares? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> and, uh, went 18. Uh, so a lot of hit-by-pitches on K-State's side, four to be exact, but it was really just an off day for um, the staff as a whole. So it was um, yeah, really rough day for the pitchers, especially McCullough and Rubeck, although granted they did have to get through over half the game. And they were responsible for most of the runs. The last three innings, no runs were allowed from the trio of Wyden, Nicholson, and Rodriguez, but the game was well in hand by that point. Yeah. Uh, I'll cover... Sorry, just uh, someone asked me who my draft sleeper was, specifically James, and you know why he asked. <laughs> we, we may be in a fantasy league together, and I may be decent at predicting who's going to not be bad in fantasy. Sometimes, allegedly. Depending on landing spot. Depending on landing spot. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there's a, there's quite a list of players today we get to go over, so we'll go over them pretty quickly. Dom Hughes ended up going one for three, striking out once, leaving three on base, before he was pinch hit for Dominic Hughes, who ended up going 0 for 2, but scored a run because he was hit by a pitch. Jeff Heinrich went 3-for-5, pretty good day, scoring two runs as well as two RBIs, striking out once. Cole Johnson took an 0-for-3 with one strikeout before he was pitch hit for Brendan Jones, who ended up going 1-for-1, one one, so batting a 1,000 today, and 
Yeah, that's it. He just went one for one. <laughs> also drew a walk. Also drew a walk. There you go. Yeah, Brendan Jones had a solid series because he went two for two the day before as well. Patting a thousand. Then Dylan Phillips took an 0 for 5, which is uncharacteristic of him. Nick Goodwin went 1 for 4 with 1 RBI, which is very characteristic of him. Josh Nikoloff took a 2 for 3. Cash usually went 0 for 1. Justin Mitchell went 1 for 1 with 1 RBI and 1 run as well. Before he was pinch hit for Roth by Rafael Pelletier, who went 1 for 2 with 1 run and 1 RBI. And then our pitcher, Blake Adams. <laughs> was the designated hitter today. Ended up going one for three with two strikeouts for he was pinch hit by Caden Phillips, who ended up going 0 for 1 with a strikeout. Kalen Culpepper, unfortunately, took another 0 for, 0 for 2 with one strikeout for being subbed out for by Brady Day, who ended up going 1 for 1 before he himself was subbed out for Orlando Salinas, who ended up just drawing a walk. We had doubles by Jeff Heinrich, home runs by Jeff Heinrich and Nick Goodwin, Justin Mitchell, and Rafael Pelletier, and Mitchell was hit by a pitch. And Connor McCullough, it seems like his K-State tradition, we should just stop trying to pick off to first. It's, it's not working for us. Uh, clearly not. So, yeah, rough outing for the Bat-Cats, unfortunately. Um, just happens to anybody. This was a day, I mean, the wind was 25 miles per hour to left field. Balls were going to get out of the park. And unfortunately, that just benefited UC Irvine more than the Cats. Even though the Cats were getting out of the park, they just weren't getting guys on base beforehand. So, unfortunate day, but the Cats do still end up taking the series. So, they end up defeating UC Irvine uh, on the uh, a series clinching game 5-3. Uh, to three, And it was also Bark at the Park. So, it was a fun day to be out at Toynton. A beautiful of Yoki with a dog. Yeah, I, I saw that. It was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Cats, uh, it was a really good game, I will say, uh, between uh, UC Irvine and, and the Cats, uh, back and forth for a lot of the game, although uh, K-State was able to put it away and hold on at the end because it was it was an uncharacteristically low scoring game for the back catch it's five to three uh eight hits compared to seven for uc irvine and then error uh by the cats none for uc irvine um but yeah the wind died down a little bit still 13 miles per hour so it could help you uh, if you're a lefty which it did because <laughs> um after an unearned run for uc irvine the second inning brady day got his first career home run as a lefty, and that was right as I was walking in to the park, because uh, as I like got in and was like rounding the corner to uh, enter the stadium, uh, I could hear it like on the radio broadcast that they put out through the stadium that Brady Day hit a home run. I could hear the music as he like went around the. Pump it up. Yep. Well, actually, no. It was it was the one that they have like after. Like, oh, Zombie Nation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, UC Irvine added a home run of their own in the third inning to retake the lead. And then a couple innings later, uh, Nick Goodwin hit a two-run home run. And then Cole Johnson followed it up with uh, another two-run home run an inning later. And the Nick Goodwin home run was absolutely smacked to left field. So he went into the win, and it still went like... Oh, I don't remember exactly how far it went, but it was it was 
Really well struck. That wasn't the 470 shot, was it? That was on Friday? I think so. I think that one was still... It had quite a bit of distance on it. And then um, Cole Johnson, he went opposite field uh, with his. Probably would have been a fly out if the wind wasn't going the direction it was, but it carried just enough. And then UC Irvine added a run in the eighth, but that would be it for scoring. And the Backcats take the series over a quality UC Irvine team who was a regional team last year and a top a top 20 squad entering the year. So they, they've had a few struggles, but they're still 22-15 and 15 after the series with the Cats. So that's a quality home series win against a California team that hits really well and does not make fielding errors either. And made Justin Mitchell very angry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Justin Mitchell had words for UC Irvine after this series because I think UC Irvine had some words during the game on Saturday, which they were not able to replicate on Sunday. Yeah, so. I... Uh... We, if if this were anything, if we hadn't already started the streak of, you know, uh, what is this? This would be 79? Yeah. 70, no, I think maybe 76. Like 70, somewhere in the upper 70s without swapping the explicit tag on an episode, we would definitely repeat what he said because it's very funny. Yeah. But we're trying to keep that streak going. Maybe for season two, which will be year two, we'll become a, a non-family friendly podcast. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> this is a family show. <laughs> yeah. I, there are two moments that cross my mind that just kind of show that we are, but I'll remind you afterwards. <laughs> um, in terms of hitting, Dom Johnson took a rare 0 for 4 today, which yeah. weird. No strikeouts either, so he was putting the ball in play, just wasn't getting where it needed to be at. So. Yeah, unfortunately, he did not find the hole out there. Nick Goodwin ended <laughs> Going two for two, two for four with two RBI and one run scored. Dylan Phillips went 0 for three with a a base on ball. So he did not have a great series outside of that first game where he only hit, I think he just had the one home run. Yeah, he did have a uh, stolen base uh, in this game, though. So he was able to uh, do something at least. But yeah, rough series for Dylan. Uh, Nikoloff ended up taking an 0 for with a strikeout and leaving two on base. Brady Day went three for four. Brady Day had himself a quietly great series. He really did. And he's been hitting really well uh, as of late. I think that's been part of the reason that we've been seeing him over Kalen Culpepper sometimes. Although, like, I think it's been about equal, honestly. Yeah, I think it's 1A, 1B. Yeah, Culpepper probably a little bit better defensively. And it's nice to have a defense first player and a lineup full of power hitters. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, uh, but Brady Day uh, hits really well, and he has not committed any fielding errors as of yet, so we can't call him a negative defender, at least. So Yeah. Jeff Heinrich was a DH today. He went 0 for 4. Cole Johnson ended up going 1 for 3 with two RBIs and a run. Justin Mitchell went 2 for 2 with one run. Yep. And a hit and by pitch. hit by well. pitch, yep. which might have been why he was angry. Yep. And then Dom Hughes took an 0 for 2, and then Brendan Jones in center field. It's something, allegedly. Uh, might have been a defensive sub and never saw the plate. Oh, yeah, it was a defensive sub for uh, Dom Hughes. Because yep. Cole Johnson moved to right field. Yep. Nick Goodwin had a double, a home run. Brady Day also had a home run, as did Cole Johnson. 
Yep. So all in all, and of course, Nick Goodwin had an error, which was his first in a week or so. Yeah, he did have a pretty long streak of errors, but he was able to uh, fend them off for a while. However, uh, he did return for this last game of the series, but hopefully not for a long time. So Hopefully not. So you got pitchers. Yep. Uh, this was a much better <laughs> pitching day. That's a, that's a long list of pitchers. You sure you're not going to need a break in the middle? I think I can handle it. Uh, Griffin Hassel had a very quality outing. Uh, well, probably his best of the season. He went six innings with four hits, two runs, only one of them earned, uh, and then three walks, two strikeouts on 99 pitches. So quality start for Hassel. All the base on balls were intentional. Uh, yes, they were. Uh, I, I know at least two of them were, but oh, all of them weren't? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I see. <laughs> And Blake Corsentino came in, and he also had a quality outing himself. Uh, went three innings uh, with one earned run, three strikeouts. Uh, did hit a batter, as did Hassel, I neglected to mention. And Corsentino, 47 pitches, and ended really well. So Hassel, credit with the victory, puts him at 4-4 four and four on the year, and Corsentino gets his second save. The rare three-inning save. Yeah, they're quite interesting. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, only two pitchers utilized for K-State after emptying the entire bullpen the day before. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that P. Hughes was happy that Hassel had a very nice start. Uh, so yeah. all around, really quality way to end the series for the Backcats on a beautiful day at Toynton Family Stadium. So Short game, too. 224. Yeah, it was a very, very short game. It, it was. This was one of those games where... The pitch clock really, like you realize, because the back hats will hit a lot of home runs and extend games just because of the amount of offense that they put out a lot of times. But in a game where the offense wasn't as powerful as it normally is, uh, it was a pitcher's duel there for a while. So it was a a shorter game. Uh, normally, back hats are hitting three hours, three fifteen, but it was a nice two twenty four, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So. Yep. And then the final game that we'll cover is against Nebraska, and I'll put it exactly as the Twitter guy put it, or girl, don't know. The bad guys got us. <laughs> Frown. <laughs> Whoever runs the Twitter is doing a great job, and I love them. But unfortunately, I didn't love this result which was Nebraska winning over the K-State Wildcats by a score of 8-6. to six. Of course, K-State got their one traditional error. Uh, I'll run down the scoring. For Nebraska, they started off in the first with a Anderson single to left field, which ended up scoring Everett and Chick. That is a great name. And then in the third, K-State answered back to tie the game with a Josh Nikoloff single, which knocked in Cameron Uzzleton. And then Dylan Phillips ended up singling through the left side, which ended up knocking in Brady Day. The score was 2-2 two two entering the fourth inning, and then K-State decided that they were going to do some things in the fourth, in which Dom Johnson reached on a fielder's choice. Cameron Uzzleton was out at second, and then just Cole Johnson ended up scoring, and then Dom Johnson ended up scoring on a wild pitch. Nope, Justin Mitchell ended up scoring on a wild pitch, and Dom Johnson advanced. And then Nebraska answered in the fourth inning just the same. Jackson ended up tripling to right center, which scored Squanson. Then Chick ended up tri- tripling to center field, which scored Jackson. 
And then on a fielder's choice, Anglim ended up grounding in check. And then Anderson ended up hitting a shot to left field, which ended up scoring Everett. K-State would do their best answer in the fifth inning, in which Jeff Heinrich homered down the line, scoring him and Dylan Phillips. But that only made the game 6-7. to seven. Nebraska would end up scoring an insurance run in the sixth inning, in which Swanson ended up scoring Anderson. And it was an unearned run. So... Everyone tried their best, but the scoring was over by the sixth, and some might consider this a choke job. I don't I don't consider it a choke job unless it's the eighth inning or seventh inning and beyond. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And even if it's not a choke job, it's still a very frustrating loss for the Backcats. This is a team that they already beat this season, so they knew they were capable of it. And it would have been really nice to build on the momentum from the UC Irvine series because Nebraska... They're not having a great season after being predicted to win the Big Ten in the preseason. They uh, are only 16 and 23 now after this game, and the Backcats fall to 21 and 19. And this is the sort of game that you have to win if you're hoping to make the NCAA tournament. And they just weren't quite able to do it. But Dom Johnson goes one for five with an RBI and a strikeout in this game. Brady Day goes 0 for three with a walk, a strikeout, and scores a run. Nikoloff goes one for five with an RBI and a strikeout. Dylan Phillips goes one for three with a run, RBI, and a walk. Uh, Nick Goodwin goes 0 for and has two strikeouts. Jeff Heinrich goes one for four with a run, two RBIs, two strikeouts. One of the Salinas was a defensive sub, went in for Nikoloff. Nikoloff Nikoloff slid to first base, and that's what we always do. Salinas to second, Phillips to pitcher, Nikoloff to first. Right. So yes, Salinas did not see the plate, but he wasn't defensively. Cole Johnson goes 0 for 3, but he does draw a walk and score a run. Mitchell 1 for 3 with a walk and a run. Brendan Jones pinch ran for the slowest baseball player on earth. And, <laughs> <Come> on <now. laughs> and then Dom Hughes came in as a defensive substitute. Uh, Cam Usselton uh, went 0 for 1 with two walks and a run. Blake Adams actually pinch hit at one point in this game and did not reach. And Raphael Pelletier uh, was a defensive sub for Justin Mitchell. Uh, Jeff Heinrich hit a home run in this game. Dom Johnson and Dilla Phillips both stole bases. Brady Day was hit by a pitch, and Nick Goodwin did have a fielding error, which allowed the insurance run in the sixth inning. Yep. I guess that means I have pitchers, and yeah, there's... <laughs> Remember how we were complaining about how we went through our entire bullpen? Yeah, it happened again. <laughs> Wesley Moore ended up, I'll just say, opening this game yeah. with two innings of work, two earned runs, one hit, three base on balls, six strikeouts, two hit by pitch off of 51 pitches. So he wasn't having an awful day. Mm-mm. But, you know, he was told to open the game, and that's exactly what he did. Tyrell ended up coming in, pitching one and two-thirds innings with five runs and five hits, two walks, one strikeout, one hit by pitch on 38 pitches. Tyrell ends up getting pegged for the loss here. Herman Fajardo came in after that, throwing two and one-thirds innings, not giving up a single earned run, but giving up one run in general. On one hit, three walks, two strikeouts, and one hit by pitch off of 55 pitches. Christian Rubeck had himself one inning in which he gave up one hit, two strikeouts, and four batters faced with 20 pitches. And then Dylan Phillips came in to pitch the last inning, as we've seemed to have just promoted him to be the closer. 
and he ended up having one strikeout and nine pitches. The ever-efficient Dylan Phillips. No more than three pitches are needed for a batter. Yeah, never. Three pitches per batter, like the three true outcomes. It's all coming to us. Uh, but uh, quality outing for Phillips. Rubeck honestly pitches pretty well here as well. Just going one inning, doing what he needs to do. Doesn't really get himself into any high pressure. And uh, Herman Fajardo, uh, the sat line doesn't look awful. Wes Moore honestly doesn't look awful either. Again, two innings pitch, all of his outs are strikeouts. If it gets into the field of play, it's going to be something. Or he uh, walks or, walk or hits. <laughs> yeah, Wes Moore really filling the stat sheet. The only thing he didn't really do were wild pitches or box. So, but it was a... Uh, the ever-elusive, yeah. what is a balk? Yeah. And then uh, also a brief shout-out to C.J. Hood of Nebraska, who gets credit for the victory after going two-thirds of an inning with two walks and two wild pitches and 18 <laughs> pitches. Oh, dude. So, congrats, I guess. <laughs> Probably don't deserve that, but you know what? It's just kind of baseball, I guess. Yeah, but, that's baseball. That's why wins are not a pitcher stat. Yep. It's a... Uh, uh, unfortunate loss for the Bat Cats. This was a game that we should have won. It, it definitely should have been a victory for Kansas State here. I mean, there's there's not a lot of reason to drop this game. I mean, Tyrol really has a rough uh, one and two thirds here, going uh, five earned on just thirty eight pitches. That is really rough. That's tough. Yeah, Wes Moore. I mean, I wasn't able to watch this game, but you no know. one was because none of us had Big Ten Plus. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> could have listened to it. I imagine yeah. Smaller was on the call. I think he was. I, I listened to a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, Wes Moore. I mean, yeah, he did hit two batters, um, but he only gave up one hit. Uh, had three walks and only two earned, which compared. I mean, granted, it was you probably weren't predicting Ty Rule to come in and give up five, but. Uh, maybe another overmanaging moment by P. Hughes taking Westmore out. Many such cases. Many such cases. <laughs> maybe you'd like to see Westmore stretch that into one more inning, especially considering that uh, um, the top of the third, K-State was able to tie the game up. So I'm not sure why he felt that he was in a rush to take out uh, Westmore. I'm not a baseball coach, so I'm just speculating. But I'm wondering what the rationale was. Uh, I mean, again, I wasn't able to watch. Maybe Westmore got injured, or uh, the plan is only for him to go two, and they wanted to stick to that. And or maybe you're just getting erratic or something like that. I he don't know. Hit two people. He did hit two people and in two innings, which is not ideal. And but it wasn't a terrible outing for Westmore whatsoever. Six strikeouts in two innings is that's, that's, yeah, it's that's unusual. A thousand yeah. for strikeouts. Yeah. Only get outs through strikeouts. That that is a back hats moment. Yeah. But I don't know. I maybe a premature um relief um of Westmore, but again that's uh that's a Monday morning quarterback, I suppose. Yeah. So Who's to say? And I'm not a baseball coach, as I've already said. So. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, one, never mind. They will play Oklahoma at Norman in a weekend series, and I think the pitching order. I know Adams is Sunday. I'm not even gonna. I don't remember. <laughs> I can stall. <laughs> I would say 
before before I look it up, which I'm doing right now, I'd imagine it's probably going to be Griffin Hassel at some point. Yes. Connor Cole is Friday, Griffin Hassel Saturday, Blake Adams is Sunday. Interesting rotation. The normal three, but uh, in a different order uh, than you would probably be used to. Um, the order I would normally expect would be Adams, McCullough, Hassel. So we're pitching them most, somewhat backwards. Mm-hmm. But, you know, trust yeah. Pete Hughes, yeah. unless he's... No, yeah. no, just trust yeah. Pete Hughes. I'm yeah. not a baseball coach. <laughs> uh, it's another tough series as well. After facing the top four teams in the Big 12 to start Big 12 play, they now get the, checks notes, fifth best fifth team, team in the in Big, Big 12, 12 on the road. Uh, Oklahoma, they just beat KU 24-4 uh, this past weekend, <laughs> so they can put up some runs. Uh, or KU just sucks. That might actually be true. That's not even me being mean. They just are not a very good baseball team this year. They've given up 20-plus, I think, three times yep. this season now. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech, Baylor, and now OU. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a shame. That's tough. That could happen to anybody, honestly. No, it could just happen to KU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's um it's gonna be a really tough Oklahoma squad, especially on the road. But these are the type of series that if you want to make a regional, you have to win. You have to have it. The Cats really need to win out of these last four Big Twelve series. They need to sweep KU. If they don't sweep KU, goodbye yeah, forever. Goodbye. We we need to take the series against Oklahoma. Yes, we need and we ideally would sweep Baylor, but taking the series probably works same goes for west virginia because west virginia's had a solid season so i mean you need to probably you need a series win at least from everybody remaining in a sweep of ku if you want a chance even sniffing uh the NCAA tournament without magic in the big 12 tournament yeah and you probably need to pick up at least a game or two depending on how you do and your remaining non-conference battles which Uh, the remaining non-con battles are wichita state in manhattan Virginia Tech, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because this yeah, this was the last series, UC Irvine. So, yeah, it's just Wichita State at home and Virginia Tech uh, on the road. I guess it's just out of convenience since we're uh, going yeah, to be at West Virginia. So, might as well. And then P. Hughes, I believe, briefly was an assistant at Virginia Tech in between head coaching jobs. So, may, probably, probably was able to make that connection there. But Wichita State, there is no reason on earth that we should not absolutely blow up Wichita State. We should, from May 3rd to May 8th, there is no reason we should not win four games in a row. And if we don't, I would be disappointed. Yeah, and that probably seals our NCAA bid. Again, without magic in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. So Which, I don't know, we won the series against Texas. Yeah, we did win the series against Texas. Last year, the Big 12 tournament, we... Uh, had some magic going. That was a very, very fun uh, little run that the Cats went on. They God, If we didn't face TC, if we didn't run out of pitchers, and if we didn't face TC for the seventh time in like two weeks. Yeah, it, it was a very difficult uh, way to go. Just Literally just ran out of warm bodies effect- effectively by the end. Because we really, if we could have survived that last TCU game, we would have had Jordan Wicks back for the next game. Uh, so... There was an argument to be made that the Cats would have had a legitimate shot at a Big 12 championship last year if they just had one more reliever, but they just weren't quite able to get over the hump. But the idea is that you won't be in that position anyways. So 
getting a series win at Oklahoma would be absolutely massive. Yeah. If they can win most of their games after this series, it's not an absolute requirement, but it would go a long, long way to get a road series win over a very quality opponent. So. Yeah. Yeah, that wraps up this episode. Please be sure if you please be sure to whenever we decide to do the live show, we'll let everyone know and please be sure to come drop by. We'll obviously be welcoming. We don't bite nor can we over the internet. <laughs> but thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to visit the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you have such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Doom Tang Clan, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.